what an honor it is to bring in somebody who is uh, goes quite far back in the lineage of music and was able to <clears throat> take the influences, his regional influences, and turn them into viable commercial uh, hit records and songs. Uh, he was also part of a contingent that was able to learn from the masters of the music and learn maybe what not to do. He uh, has been uh, the director, musical director of Saturday Night Live Band for years and uh, uh, just a, a, an absolute legend. Leon Pendarvis, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you. Could you talk, Leon, about... Um, if you uh, had uh, ac- if you ever experienced a sanctified or a, a ser- um, church, you know they'd take the uh, they'd set up you know big awnings and there'd be guys pe- people playing banjos and like the spiritual uh, sanctified church. No, not really. I mean, I grew up in a pretty conservative Baptist church environment in South Carolina. And, um, you know, we, our choir, did pretty much standard hymns and stuff like that. But every now and then, or I guess once or so, once or twice a year, there would be, um, I guess it would be like a revival. Right. And the, the gospel, the churches with gospel choirs would come. And uh, that was kind of my first introduction up close and personal to that. I never, the banjo type stuff and whatever, uh, I, I missed that. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that escaped me. But I the, did, man. No, I mean, there's just, you know, it's just like maybe, I don't think it's mythology. I mean, I think that there were churches in rural parts of the South where the electric guitar was on stage, you know? Like, I, I wonder about... Um, did your parents frown on you playing the blues in the house? No, not really. Um, and just since you mentioned the electric, electric guitar, yeah. um, my exposure to that was pretty much, you know, I, 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 I grew up in the kind of quartet uh, era, uh, era mm. uh, you know, gospel quartets and stuff and the most of them um, had an electric guitar. That, in fact, that was the only instrumental accompaniment that they had at that time. Of course, that's all changed now. Really? That's, I, that's um, mind-blowing. Yeah. Wow. Um, so uh, that um, I was exposed to pretty early on. I mean, there was um, a TV show, um so, uh, probably half an hour TV show uh, the Abraham brothers and and they uh, you know rocking my soul in the bosom of Abraham it was, <laughs> was like kind of that theme song in a way and they were you know an all black quartet that uh, there probably were white quartets too but I was exposed more to the African American quartets and they all had you know electric guitars. Um, Pretty much, that was again. That was pretty much the only instrumental accompaniment that, that they had. Um, so far as my parents frowning on me, and you know, I, it's funny. Uh, so far as playing blues in the house, my, my my mom was the church pianist for years, and 
she was my first teacher, uh, music teacher. And um, she didn't play, she played basically what was on the page, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't really improvise hmm. or anything like that. Um, but, no, they were very open to, you know, all types of music, uh, not so much country stuff at that point. But, <laughs> at least, uh, but I mean, I, I'm thinking about about Penn, like, I mean, mm -hmm. like, you were, were you playing uh, in, you were playing upright bass, bass fiddle? No, no. Uh, Always, because I, I mean, there, there was something I read where it said you came to New York as a bass player. I did, but not upright. Um, Electric, this is, okay, so, well, do we take it from there? I mean, were you into the trio work? Uh, the the cool jazz period of the early '60s was was that what what were you because the, you know like the Beatles hadn't come along then and I'm right. and, and I'm curious about where you were at in terms of like where your ears were meters hadn't come along yet so I just would love you to oh. talk about like the influences were you influenced by Ahmad Jamal were you into that stuff yeah um, uh, when I was um, probably a teenager I'm guessing. Uh, I got into, I joined the Columbia Record Club, <laughs> and uh, this yeah. was all during the vinyl period. This was all obviously pre, you know, CDs and all that stuff like that. And Jerry Mulligan and Miles and, you know, several other, you know, uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, I got into that stuff kind of on my own. I mean, where I grew up uh, was a little town called North Augusta, South Carolina, which is basically a suburb of Augusta, Georgia. Mm. What separates the two states is the Savannah River. Wow. And um, I didn't have, you know, I mean, so far as jazz and, and um, I mean, blues was a different thing. You know, we, it's interesting. I mean, there was R&B uh, that I grew up listening to that was kind of speaking of regional that was kind of like localized yes. R&B. a lot of that stuff never really made it uh to the national stage um but certainly i grew up listening to it and i grew up listening to you know obviously the hits the the benny king the drifters and and actually before benny left the drifters and, and stuff like that and so you know i played uh, there was a, I guess a girls group. Um, I can't remember exactly now if it was all <laughs> girls, but I think it was uh, when I was probably in high school, and I was like kind of their pianist. Uh, but nobody taught me, uh, you know. I mean, jazz was like kind of you know like eating caviar or something. <laughs> you know? I mean, Wait, hold on. I need Penn. I need you to go a little bit deeper on this regional. Sure sound of you know the 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 coast coastal sound what, what what and it never made it to the to the pop level there was no muscle shoals there was no stacks records there was no like well i guess atlanta had some recording studios but what was that regional sound that that you really were in part of that milieu well i mean trying to describe it in words is, is a little difficult but i mean basically there was there was this R&B, I guess it would be termed rhythm and blues, that 
was kind of like local, not local so much, maybe South Carolina only. Or, but, you know, at that point, at that time, this is all obviously way pre-internet. And, and so your experience, experiences pretty much as a kid was going to be pretty much local. You know, my parents travel here and there, but when we did, it was like, you know, either in the state or every now and then, you know, we'd go to Nashville or, but, but because I think my, my godparents' son was uh, in med, med school there. So, uh, and when he, I guess when he finished, when he graduated, you know, we went to, to Tennessee. And then of course, there was a station, I don't know if it still exists, which is, I think it's WLAC. Yeah. And this was out of either Nashville or Memphis. And and it was the kind of station where you heard, you know, I guess the stack stuff and all that, which was obviously Memphis. But um, it was funny. I mean, you know, I wouldn't hear, you you couldn't, pick that those stations up right. that station up until right. like late at night yeah they were bleed through yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, which i did you know <laughs> you of know course, um, here and there um but um <coughs> excuse me um no it's fine i mean there's like a regional gumbo of that area that's fascinating. I mean, Dizzy, I mean, those cats, Jimmy Heath, I think they're from North Carolina. So basically, right. basically, um, talk about you're, you're in this, you travel a little bit, but yeah, we weren't fully interconnected, you know, and, and, uh, ultimately did you, did you ever do any, do any work on what is, some people don't love this term, but the, you know, I, it was the Chitlin circuit, you know, the floorboards were coming up mm-hmm. out of the thing, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was a gig, you know, I mean, did you do any of that, of that work? No, I never really did. I mean, I, uh, that was when, when, you know, I can and several other people were doing those. And I guess even Aretha and whatever, uh, were, were doing those circuits. Uh, that was kind of, I was pretty much too young to be, um, that, that would put me in my, you know, like 13, 14, 15 year old period. Oh, I did. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, my brother who connected us, Chris Parker was playing for strippers at 11. I mean, things were just different, you know, um, right. it, it, uh, and I, I'm Jamal played, uh, you know, these clubs. So what was the, ultimately, what was your impetus for, um, how did you, did you want it at some point? What was your calling to, to move on from your from your town well um college put me in durham north carolina speaking of north carolina hmm. so and uh, that's I, I won't say i officially left home because you know i'd be in college you know i'd, I'd be in you know in school in school uh or at school i should say um in durham uh then in the summers I'd be back home. This this went on for like maybe three years or so, hmm. um, and you know, interestingly enough, you know, when I was in college, I was a music major, but this was like, and I I was at a what's called H H um, S B uh, H B H B uh, historically black 
uh, college. college and university, HBCU. That's it. Historically black colleges and universities. And I went to one, which is now called North Carolina Central University. Mm-hmm. At the time that I was there, it was North Carolina College at Durham. And uh, all of the music, you know, all of my all of my studies there were classical, which was cool in one respect, but then kind of uncool in another one because, <laughs> you know, I was like this rebel kind of, you know, somewhat jazzer, uh, which I, again, I kind of, went into that zone on my own it was like not that i experienced that much of that wow. you know when i was wow. in when i was home and of course they hated that <laughs> yeah um, no of course they hated so, that <laughs> you know i basically oh I, my I never, god I, I never got my degree wow. um and i eventually uh, married a lady from durham and that with me permanently or semi-permanently I guess I should say in Durham uh, and eventually uh, I put a band together that one of the members of the band decided to dub the Lee Darvis taking my first name and uh, truncating it and and my last name and doing the same thing called the Lee Darvis Orchestra And there was a club, this is probably the closest thing to the quote-unquote chilling circuit that I did. There was a club called, which is long gone, called the Stallion Club. (laughs) And the Stallion Club uh, was like, kind of like the biggest club in 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 the city of Durham that... Uh, hosted acts like Ike and Tina, when it, when they and and Jerry Butler and uh, I, that was where I, the only time I saw Otis Redding live. And um, did James Brown had, and the Flames ever come through? Who James Brown and the Flames and the Famous Flames? Or not, that, yeah, yeah, but not they would be playing bigger venues than bigger than Hank Ballard and those. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, Hank Ballard and I, I saw those those acts back home in Augusta, Georgia at a place which I think still exists called the Bell Auditorium. Wow. And the Bell Auditorium I think is a historic landmark at this point. Uh, I mean, there's a coliseum there, but the Bell Auditorium I think still exists. And um, no, but I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I wanted to go back to the to the, to the the club in Durham. Mm-hmm. Stallion Club. Yeah. And the Stallion Club, we want to be in a house band. And, um, oh dear, we that is from, so classic. This is classic. Yeah, yeah. We went from obscurity. I mean, people knew who I who I was. I mean, uh, I mean, the local musicians did because you know, I again, I was like this kind of jazz R and B rebel. <laughs> rebel, you, know? so, you were a rebel. So I stuck out, you know, in, in a way. But when I put this band together. There were other bands. There was there was a band called Doug Clark and the Hot Nuts. Uh, yep, I've absolutely that. seen those and, records. And uh, you know a few other bands that had been established there for a while that were kind of the the cream of the crop until we put our band together. And when we did, we basically in mm, two years or so. Uh, 
trounced the, all of those bands, <laughs> and we became like the band of bands for oh, not only Durham, wow, but almost North Carolina in a wow. way. And that's, you know, uh, I was still playing just keys, um, and um, but <clears throat> you know my um, my bass player. Uh, James Hop Jones, my bass player, went on to to leave Durham uh, to play with um, who was he playing with? Um, Chuck Jackson. Oh man! And damn. Hold on, just gonna get some water here. Yeah, sure. And. Uh, I stayed there, you know, like I said, got married, had a kid, uh, was there for, from, well, I went there in 66, and um, again, you know, at this point, you know, Muscle Shows and Stacks and all that stuff, we had already, you know, with the, those those acts were, yeah, I definitely knew them. In fact, we backed up Johnny Taylor. Oh, man. Um, and this is uh, so classic. How big was the band? Uh, let's see. Four, four horn, wow. three horns wow. or four horns. Wow. Wow. Uh, tenor, trombone, two, ten, tenor, trombone, four horns. Uh, no, tenor sax, trombone, trumpet. And maybe we had two trumpets at one point. I can't remember exactly. And then bass, drums, guitar, and I played organ. Any perca- any precaution? No. No, no precaution. That is no. on. You were playing like bassy toes. Uh, no, 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 no. We were playing. Uh, we were playing R and B, but we, you know, but it was that. So we did all the, you know. The, the hits, right? Uh, you know, and stuff like that. You know, as a local band, but we also um, we also were doing instrumentals that were like kind of the obscure. Uh, oh, beautiful! I need to know some of these obscure instruments, dude. This is so classic. Is this like go? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. We, you know, like yeah. Mongo. Yeah. You know, with you know, with Watermelon Man and all this stuff like that. But we would be doing the we, we played some of the B sides, <laughs> some, some of the hipper to us, hipper sides of, oh, of some my of the records. God. I mean, obviously we did the, I'm sorry. the stuff that everybody knew. Yeah, right. Uh, we also did. Uh, we were the place was. I mean, I guess the, it was like basically like a cabaret club. I guess in right. a way. And so. You know, and we're now talking about 1968, this was a, this was during a time I guess they were doing quote unquote the chilling circuit, you know, and, and mo- a lot of these n- known acts 
only would travel with like you know a guitar player or something like that and then they needed a band to fill in absolutely and absolutely. we were that band most times when when otis did it at the same club he had his own band and that was like going to school for me i just i just remember sitting in the in the in the in the club that we played in as a house band watching quote-unquote professionals um i guess we would be termed semi-professionals but watching pro the professionals you'll know, do all these songs like you know dock of the bay right. and whatever and um uh, and that was a big, big influence but you know i did that for until 1969 how i came to new york playing bass was really kind of a fluke because <laughs> i just want yeah go ahead this i just want to say that this is yeah. i have some i have some audio that i need to find because uh billy cobham who's been a big mentor to me he uh mm -hmm. he remembers seeing you on a because before mahavishnu orchestra started he he met mclaughlin in the studios on a quincy gig called the anderson tapes it was a soundtrack and okay. he's he's like I think Penn was even on that session, so that was late '60s. So I'm like, how the heck did you go from? I mean, I guess that's the point. Is like, what was the what was the intersection between you and becoming a studio shark? Well, uh, humbly, I'll accept that. Compliment. Come on, dude. Uh -oh. I mean, you know, you know. Come on, man. You know. I I came to New York in 1969. June of 1969. So, uh, I may not be on that session that he's he remembers, but th that's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, I, I, just to kind of connect the dots. Yeah, but go ahead. What happened was, I was again. I was, you know, I married. I was married with a kid, and then we we separated, and eventually. Um, she filed for divorce, and that prompted me to want to get the heck out of Dodge, mm. so to speak. Yeah. So I, I like, Hub, who had been my bass player, uh, was, I think he was still in, well, I don't know about New York, where, I guess New York, playing with, with Chuck Jackson. And um, I, I, I kind of reached out to him and said, Hey man, if if you if there are any gigs that you can think of that I might you know because you know he knew my work you know be able to do or uh, that I you know would be available for me to do hmm. um, please let me know because you know I'm desperate to get out yeah of, I want to get out, out of Dodge yeah out of, yeah, yeah out of this town and eventually he it's funny I still remember this guy's name never met him there was a guy who needed an organ player melvin tombs in in boston how i still remember that is beyond me hold on but hold on you got word that this cat needed a, a keyboard organ player play. organ yeah. play. organ sick yeah right and wow. but i never took that gig and and then there was maxine brown who uh was yeah. um doing a lot of so she and chuck were kind of like Marvin and Tammy in a way and so Maxine Brown needed a bass player and Hub who had been my bass player said you know what knowing you you could probably pull that off and I was <laughs> like okay 
okay. And I was so desperate to get out that, you know, and I was also a person who, when I was in Durham, uh, you know, during, I won't say breaks, but like I guess during the rehearsals or so, I'd get behind the drums and, you know, I was, I didn't ever really play drums. I didn't ever really play bass, mm. but I played enough, you know, enough to get like a sense of, you know, I was kind of like this, not multi-instrumentalist, but because uh, I never did these things, you know, for any length of time, but I did them, you know, long enough to get a, a sense of like what this instrument is Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Know, I played, tr- I was a trumpet major in in college you know i never was that 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 good at it but i I played trumpet from like junior high school straight through college i played tenor sax you know i mean you had a you had an understanding beyond basic understanding of most instruments you know yes um so what happened was he reached out to maxine and told her gave her the exact you know uh, you know, nine one one on me, and like you know, I you know I, I she you know I wasn't a bass player, but I probably but he thought that I I could do it well. You know that would be unheard of these days, <laughs> right? <But> she actually <laughs> unheard of. She actually went for it and said, "Well, you know, well, I was kind of on trial basis, and um, so what I did was." Uh, that that's how I came to New York. So I took a bus, not the plane or train. I took a bus Love from it. Durham to New York. She lived in West Hempstead, out in Long Island. And what I did is I, her guitar player, um, also had a bass, and so I borrowed his bass until I could afford to buy one myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, her musical director at the time, I'm kind of getting chills saying this, but her musical director at the time was Bernie Worrell. And no um, way. Yeah. Bernie was her musical director. Okay. And we hit it off. And What year was this? Uh, 1969. Wow. Okay. And then what I did was... I went to, you know, that's that whole plain field, Parliament Funkadelic, that's that whole plain, Funkadelic hadn't even happened yet. Parliament had. Right. But uh, that's that whole Plainfield, New Jersey crowd. So <laughs> what I did was, Bernie was from Plainfield, so I, I was living, because I didn't have an apartment, I mean, money for one or whatever, so I, I, I lived in Maxine's basement uh, for probably close to a year. But what I did was I went to Bernie's house, uh, with his mom, Cora and the whole nine yards. And I literally taught myself, I had all the charts. Um, and I just, I just shared, um, you know, three hours a day, you know, two hours, three hours here and there, and basically taught myself, you know, uh, the bass parts, you know, and and uh, that's how that came about. And then, interestingly enough, as a bit aside, I, I will tell you, I think you'll get a kick out of I mean, this is, I, I'm, I can't, yeah, go ahead. I mean, this is your, the fir- yeah. The first night <laughs> that 
my my <laughs> audition, so to speak. Um, that afternoon, you know, we were set up for sound check at, at this club in Jamaica, Queens. And the drummer didn't show up. And they were, like, calling, trying to get sub drummers, and they couldn't get anybody. And it was about, I don't know, <laughs> say maybe three hours before the gig. And I said to the ma manager and to Maxine, I said, well, I'm not really a drummer, but if you get, you know, a drum kit, I probably could get us through the gig. Mm. And they were like, yeah, right, you know. <laughs> and uh, when it got to be about two hours before the gig, they panicked. And so it, eventually they said, are you serious about that? And I said, yeah, you know. Um, you know, I, I I can play, I think, well enough to get us through this gig. And I knew all the songs now because I had, you know, been practicing on bass for like two weeks or three weeks or whatever it had been. So they they went out, rented a set of drums. I set it, I set them up as best I could. I, I had pieces left over in the trap case. And because I could, I said, well, I don't know where this goes. <laughs> I know how to, how to set up the hi-hat and the... Uh, the toms and the whatever floor tom and whatever and yeah so the first night my first night of playing professionally in new york i played drums not organ <laughs> no, no. not bass no. i played drums and got us through the gig to the point where the manager alan ross i think uh the manager said well you know we're getting ready to go out and do this tour, you know, opening up for Sam and Dave, you know, you 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 know, you sound pretty good on drums. You want to <laughs> no, 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 no. I came as a bass player. I'm going to do it as a bass player. Right. And so the second night, they got, I guess, a sub um, to uh, to to play drums. And I was actually more nervous the second night than I was the first because the first night I said, well. I didn't come here as a drummer anyway, so big deal. Right. You know? What do I got to lose? You played, you played, yeah. you didn't care, yeah. But I got us through the gig. Right, and, absolutely. Uh, and second night I played bass, you know, passed the test, so to speak. And that's how, that's how the whole bass, um, coming to New York as a bass player, that, that, that's how that happened. So you're, this and, was a, I, I just yeah. want to be clear though, like, uh, did, did this album, I mean, it was a, it was your first gig in the studio. What, what album was it? Well, no, this was not a studio. This was a live gig. A live, oh my, you got them through the live gig. Yeah, through the live gig. You, yeah, yeah. This was a, a, a club somewhere out in Jamaica, Queens. That is unbelievable. Yeah, that's, so, no, this was, this is before um, I started doing any studio stuff. I didn't really start doing, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll stop so that you can. You well, know, no, it, it, Penn, it's great. I, I mean, I just want to say, like, a few weeks you know, no, a few months ago, this nonprofit that I work at, uh, we got this uh, donation of country records from this small town. I live in Tucson, Arizona, and a uh, big donation from Wilcox it was like fifteen hundred country records, and there was some wow. decent stuff. I mean, it was mostly schlock, but like it was, and then there's this one record in the entire. 1500 and mm -hmm. I am completely obsessed and hooked on it mm -hmm. okay 
and I just want you, you know, because I've been, I basically just wanted to, to ask you about Eugene McDaniels because the man, the man from Shaft, when when Richard Roundtree, rest in peace, went out and right. they're like, yeah, you know, like you can sing, you know, we'll back you with the baddest cats, and I'm like. Mm-hmm. Freaking music arranged by Leon Pendarvis, and this was like so. To to now connect with you is just a very beautiful spiritual thing because th- I mean I haven't even gotten past the first two songs, man. I can't do it. Peace right. in the morning, peace in the right. morning. It gets hard sometimes. I'm like, it's 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 next level, man. And so I just, how did you ultimately? So that was, who, was Eugene a conduit for you to get into the studios? I'm just trying to figure out how you became. No, yeah. uh, um, I mean, well, you know, I was with Maxine for right. just like two years or so. And when she would do her re- recordings, I wasn't a part of that. And eventually I got kind of tired of that whole scene. And I mean, she was great, but I was like, well, why am I not, you know, involved with the recordings? And so I eventually quit, moved into the city, Lower East Side. Oh, my Tim God. Street, Tim Street between 1st and 2nd. <laughs> and uh, John Betch. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And um, oh, eventually joined a band called the Eddie Jacobs Exchange. Oh. And this was a local band out of Brooklyn. And um, as a bass player. And uh, eventually, and he was signed to, uh, they were signed, I guess, to Columbia Records. And um, eventually, we did... Um, I mean, they'd already done some recording, and then I did some recording with them, or with them. I guess I was in the band, so I guess I should. <laughs> in the yeah, right, the band. Yeah, and um, <laughs> as a bass player, wow. and wow. did some. I think I arranged my first string arrangement in my life was <laughs> done with that band, and. If I'm not mistaken, Valerie Simpson was one of the background singers. So, you know, that was kind of my, to some degree, my, my, how I, well, I, I mean, that didn't really get me jump started, but that's, that was my first experience being in a New York professional studio. And then, um, eventually, and I don't even remember exactly how this came about but eventually uh i found out that g mcdaniels and i knew you know 100 pounds of clay you know his his hit absolutely you know, yeah I, I knew of him but because of that record but I, that's about all i and i knew he'd also written some stuff for roberta flack and um eventually I found out that he was looking for a bass player and uh, he he was kind of putting this band together and um, oh my god that's right quote unquote audition for him we hit it off in fact we put a publishing company together which I can't remember the name of oh man are you kidding me yeah yeah that's awesome I became like the band leader 
uh, for him. Um, and, you know, we did, we put a, the group that we put together, we call Universal Jones. I know that, and, dude, I've never seen that record. I need to find that record, man. Yeah, 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 Universal Jones. Uh, oh. I think, I think you can... You I mean, can I can get access to music, but I cannot, I was looking at that and I said, this is the funkiest band I've never heard of, dude. This yeah. is un Universal Jones, man. Who was in that group? A guy named Bob Woos, rest his soul. Oh. Uh, Charlotte uh, Laws, rest her soul. That, that's Hubert Laws' sister. Wow. Um, Maurice McKinley played drums. Did he play uh, drums with uh, with Curtis Mayfield? I don't think so. Okay, I'm trying. Uh, go ahead, continue. I play bass. I'm just uh, looking here. The, the electric bass on Richard Roundtree's album is Carol yeah. Kay and Leon Pendarvis. Yeah. yeah. Dude, this yeah. album changed. I mean, I'm 45. Like, I've listened. I cannot stop listening to this. It's well, insane, Penn. I can't believe it, man. It's pretty cool. But, I mean, like, well, you were in, like, a state... Do you remember if you, I mean, a lot of cats, and I, you could just talk about your own creative perspective, but how much of your success do you uh, attribute to being able to hit at the same time with everybody? I, I really believe, especially early in your career, whether it was strings or horns, there was not a lot of minimal overdubbing because you can feel the pulse speed up sometimes. Right, sure, sure. Um, so how much, so how much do you attribute some of, of that early, cause it's magic and how much do you attribute it to the idea of everybody hitting at the same time when we basically live in a very isolated society and oh, that now. is trans, yeah, exactly. That trans as opposed to now is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, I mean, it was unheard of to, you know, I mean, Stevie was doing it. Uh, you know, Stevie was, you know, playing right. drums first, and then they'd go and do the bass part next and whatever. I mean, but that was unusual. I mean, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, session work um, by just organically, you know, everybody being in the room at the same time. I mean, there's a, you know, I used to have a, uh, uh, a thought that would occur a lot, you know, when when I was in a situation where, you know, I'm in the studio now and it's a bunch of other guys and and girls sometimes and and uh I say, man, why can't I think of this stuff when I'm playing by myself? Well, because you need that energy to bounce off Yes. Of, yes. And um, you know, I had the luxury uh, not just me, obviously, you know, thousands of us, but I had the luxury of, you know, coming up during a time when, you know, I mean, yeah, there were overdubs, but, you know, the basic tracks, you know, 95% of the time was done with like a, you know, full rhythm section. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the Roundtree album, you know, I thought, obviously I thought about it when, you know, he just passed a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, Carol Kay, I'm, you know, I met, you know, who hmm. was 
You know, I was trying to figure out, I'm like, was Penn, did Penn make a, a trip over to the West Coast to record this album? Or I, I'm trying to figure no, out, go ahead. We did. Yeah. We did. Yeah. We actually did. In fact, you know, when I was out there doing that album, I had also been working at that point with uh, uh, LaBelle. Wow. Uh, which at that point was not just Patty, but Patty, Nona, and Sarah. Sure. And um, and uh, I can't remember the name of the song right now, but uh, but there was it was I guess the same during the same time as they, that you know Lady Lady Marmalade came out, which sure. well, should be one of the big hits. But um, there was another song. There's another song. I think it's either on that album or the album before, but I think it's on that album. That when I was in LA doing Roundtree's album, mm. and uh, they found out that I was in LA, and um, one of the songs that I had arranged for Patty and, well, for LaBelle, um, when I was with them, they cut on that album and they said hey we'd love it if you could you know um <laughs> you know do the arrangement sure. and play on that so while i was out doing roundtree's album i you know moonlighted you're right dude you took another gig man took another gig and did uh uh you know one of the songs on their album uh but that was also during a time when a lot of New York guys, and it never really worked the other way that much. You know, where New York guys would get flown to L.A. to work on different projects. It, uh, very seldom was it that L.A. guys were flown to New York. I love this. In, I love this, dude. Why, why is that? Why was that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a great... I love the honesty, man. I, who knows, man? I don't really know. <laughs> I, 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 I Yes. About that, but I don't really know. Well, I mean, I listen, let's face it. I mean, it's so great to talk to you, Penn, because mm -hmm. Trope, uh, I've interviewed Trope twice, Murata twice, Will Lee, Chris Parker, Steve Gadd, Mike Mane, I mean, all the fucking, I mean, excuse my language, all the cats that, um, there was a lock on, New York people didn't, th th there was a lock on that scene. You weren't coming in from L.A. to show anybody up. Mm-hmm. You know? No. No, I mean, and, and yet, at the same time, like one of the most cosmic experiences, because going back to Billy Cobham, uh, he had his first solo album was Spectrum, and he had Stanley Clark and uh, and himself playing, and uh, and there was just a little bit too much language, so he called up the Leland Sklar. Have you pat crossed paths with that cat before? No. The big bearded guy. He, anyway, legendary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he he uh, he came and wound up playing on that album. It turned into one of the most seminal rock fusion albums of all time. Either way, it's right. like it's fascinating that that. Uh, but, but going back to Roundtree for a minute, did you get a chance? Was that the first time? You, did you get a chance to hang with him at all, or was it? Did he uh, overdub his singing? Uh, I mean, he overdubbed, but he uh, you know, typical that during that that period of time. The artists would come to, um, you know, the sessions and, and do, you know, pilot vocal. You know, sometimes those pilot vocals turn into being like the final vocals. Right. But 
but they would do a pile of vocals, so you'd have something to 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 play to, and not just be playing in a vacuum. Uh, so yeah, I definitely yeah definitely met him. Definitely, quote unquote, hung out with him. Very nice guy, you know. And obviously, he was coming off the the success of Chef, and and um, you know, um, you know, but very humble, um, very uh, kind of mild manner in a way, which is interesting because his character in Chef is badass, you know. <laughs> Dude, I, he, his spirit is really pushing me right now. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking right here. So, so I just want you also go back to Carol Kay. So you went out there and. You, that must have been amazing uh, to be like. Was that the first time you met Carol too? Yes. Wow. It's the only time that I met Carol, um, who was gracious, you know, very gracious, and um, you know, I guess we decided on some of the stuff because I did obviously. You're looking at the album. I did, you know, X amount of the ranging, and. Just, I guess we decided that Carol was best suited for, you know, some some of those those cuts. And uh, but she was really cool. Um, and yeah, it was the the first and only time that I met, that I got a chance to meet her. You know, uh, like uh, Parker was talking about you uh, at a Dizzy Gillespie John Fat or no, it was a John Fattis gig at Seventh Avenue South, and Dizzy came in. Right. And you did these arrangements on the fly and made it look really effortless. And I just, can you describe your ears, like how why, how your ears are so big that you're able to, I mean, this the, it, it's, it, is it just at your best? Uh, some cats would say they, they have to get out of their own way, uh, get out of their own ego in order to let information come through them, you know? I just wonder about, for you, creativity. Talk about how you cultivated that process, or is it literally something that is just part of you? I think more the latter than anything else. Uh, I mean, that was obviously a... uh, a, There was a period of time when, you know, I was trying to, quote-unquote, hone my craft. Hmm. But I think, and certainly, yes, um, there's something to be said about that, uh, you know, shedding and, I mean, I did a lot of listening to, you know, you know, Lala Shafran and whatever, mm. you know, Dizzy, you know, cause he did some great stuff for Diz, mm. and, you know, Quincy and I, you know, got a chance to actually, you know, work with Quincy and, and on a few things and, um, you know, kind of, you know, just by osmosis, you know, picking up something <laughs> and, and some, some stuff, not even just osmosis. But I got to I want to know, when did you first, because Quincy, because maybe you weren't on that Anderson tape soundtrack, but I'm mm-hmm. like, I know Penn and Quincy connected when you first, 6970 probably. Uh, I connected with Quincy, well, uh, stuff like that. Uh, that album. Smack Water Jack or something, right? No, no, no. It's, it's uh, <laughs> whatever, no, 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 like stuff like that. Uh, uh, the, my, my girlfriend at the time, mm. uh, um, 
her godfather was Quincy. And so she <laughs> said to, uh, she was not, you know, officially my agent, but she was you know, trying to push me on on Quincy and, and Quincy finally said, okay, I'll try him on, you know, whatever. So when they did the Stuff Like That album, uh, which I have upstairs is one of the, my, one of the gold records that, you know, I want to, you know, I'll be being part of. Wow. Uh, I did horns on that track. And then there's a, uh, there's another song that Patty Austin, I think it's Patty and James Ingram, rest his soul, um, it's called Love Never Had It So Good, mm. uh, which is also on that album. And um, I'll never forget, we did Love Never Had It So That had to be like 70, I guess like, you know, what's, what's wild, it just, I'll, I'll come back to that. But what's wild is that sure. when I came to New York in 1969, and um, I think uh, that's the t- uh, Feel Like Making Love uh, with Roberta, which I co-produced. I uh, think that's <laughs> like 72. Yeah, yeah, Chuck Reaney. Yeah. What's, what's weird yeah. is that when I, when I go back, it's all like this, this concept of time. You know, when I go back and look, look at it, hmm. That's only three years from the time that I first came to New York. But I say that to say that there was a dark period, I guess probably from 70 to 71. Really? Where I felt like I was just going to fail in the the city. And, you know, um, this was during the Vietnam War and I got drafted which I never went in, but I got drafted, and that was like a nightmare. And this is also obviously doing the civil rights movement and the whole nine yards, and and it was, it it was, you know, I was, you know, and I, I say this, uh, you can certainly, you know, you know, print it, publish it. You know, I was staying in a, an apartment in Lo- on the Lower East Side, again, tenth between first and second. That was a $55 a month apartment, which is hysterical now because that whole area now, you know, is like, you know, $2,000 to even. Yeah, I mean, they probably, they probably ripped out that basement apartment now. And, you know, now, yeah. now it's all just like completely maxed out real estate. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was a five floor walk up, actually. And, uh, and this is unbelievable. Were you going to, you going to Studio Rivby? Uh, I mean, it was like Sam Rivers' jams. I, I didn't mean to distract you. I'm sorry. Go, go no, ahead. No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But, you know, I was paying, you know, to pay for half of, because I had a roommate who was a tenor player, uh tenor sax player, who's no longer with us. Hmm. And uh, I was just to split a $55 a month apartment at that point was, was a struggle. And when I got, hmm. when I got, drafted in the sir into service during the Vietnam War, I was like, Oh my God, you know, my whole life is being turned upside down. So there's a period for about a a year, year and a half, that felt like ten. 
I and bet. now when I talk to people and we start, and start going back and chronicling, you know, my when I came to New York and when I started getting into studio work and when I you know started to become successful, it's so weird because it's only like about a one year period that when I talk about it myself, I'm kind of dumbfounded because I'm like, man, that felt like. It was the end of the world for me. That was and, your test. That was your test. Yeah. And as it turns out, it was really only from, from 69 to 72 is only three years. And by three years, I had my first, you know, gold record, you hmm. know, which was feel like making love, you know. So, um, I mean, that's can you talk about um but let me, be, be, before you go... Uh, no, no, this is... Uh, who were the spirits that came into your life in that hard year or that were already there that, that you know, kicked you in the butt and said, stop feeling sorry for yourself? You know, who were the ones that ultimately helped you get through to, to be where you are now? Well, my parents, for sure. Wow. And, and, uh, but, but interestingly enough, not like they said, you know, stop feeling sorry yeah, for Yeah, I mean, that might have been the wrong... I'm sorry to say, yeah. No, 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 because yeah. uh, I could have, but, you know, and maybe at points I did, but I, I know, you know, obviously both my parents are no longer with us, but, but I, I will never forget, uh, you know, I, you know, me being going into showbiz, I mean, this was like not the norm for where I came from you know, from where I was born and raised, you know, people went to, you know, my, both my parents were, were educators, you know, they both had, you know, had their master's degrees, which was at that point, you know, for African-Americans doing back in the sixties was like a, an amazing. Unheard of. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I wound up being a college dropout, you know, and the next thing they knew, they were like, uh, uh, they had a, a daughter-in-law, and uh, and uh, you know, and with grandparents, you know. So, you know, that that had to be a shock to the system. But they 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 stuck by me. And and the interesting thing is, I will never forget. I was home. I mean, even though I lived in New York, I I, I flew home for I don't know maybe Christmas or Thanksgiving or something like that, and. Um, my dad um, said, to, you know, said to me, uh, we were having this conversation, and my dad said, you know, son, you know, um, I know you're trying to do this music thing in New York and whatever, but you know, that's a that's a very difficult thing to pull off, and uh, paraphrasing, but uh, and um, you know. Very few people, you know, really, you know, make it doing that. And I said, yeah, Dad. And I said, he said, he said you know, during my time, you know, only, you know, he mentioned Cap Calloway. And I said, yeah. well, Dad, if Cap Calloway could do it, why can't I? 